Well, good morning. It's good being in church on this first day of the week and the last day of the missions conference. And uh, so good to be here this morning. I pray you've been able to, to uh, take advantage of these services this week. And uh, let me tell you something right up. There's, uh, please don't ever take for granted what's going on here at this church. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And uh, sometimes in life, I get this way myself. You come into a place and uh, you see things happening, but you're not really looking at what's going on. There's a lot happening here. And uh, this church here is not a car park, although I know you like to have a car park, all right? It's not a car park. You need one, but you're not. This place here is a launching pad. There's a lot going on. And as an outsider coming in and, you know, I guess people from the outside come in and visit a place, you see things a little different perspective. And there's a lot, the Lord's blessing this church. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of blessings still ahead. And not to say the road's going to be rosy all the way. There's some, no doubt, storms and struggles ahead. But God is blessing this place, and don't ever take it for granted. Thank you so much for allowing us to be your part of your conference this week. It's been a blessing and privilege to uh, be a small part of uh, these last few days. And we thoroughly enjoyed ourselves in Lithgow on yesterday. And uh, I think we had, what was it, 40-something, I think 44 people out there. And uh, brave in the, the uh, chilly temperatures. It wasn't too bad, really. It wasn't too bad in the sun. The sun went behind the clouds, and you were in the shade, then you had another issue. It was pretty cold then. But uh, that was a great day, and we uh, passed out several thousand uh, pieces of gospel literature, and uh, looking forward to hear some good reports and good phone calls and, and possibly some negative ones. That's all right, as we uh, are promised in God's Word that the seed of God's Word falls on all different types of soil. You have hardened soil, thorny soil, and so uh, you're going to have to anticipate and expect some... Uh, Negative, negative feedback from that, not to worry, happen to the Lord, it'll happen to us. The thing is that God's word will take root in people's hearts and lives. And it's amazing to see when a person uh, places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's a supernatural seed. It's a supernatural, we all understand how, how it works. Now, maybe I'll share a verse with you guys later concerning that, but it, it's a wonderful thing. We are simply a sower sowing God's seed, and it's supernatural. And again, thank you so much for... Uh, Allow us to be part of your conference. Thank you for your prayers. And uh, I'll take a, a few moments here briefly uh, just to kind of give you a, a little bit of a, uh, I guess, a, uh, a nutshell uh, ministry update and kind of what we do, what we're all about. We live in, in Brisbane, and we have a home-based church there, a New Beginnings Baptist Church located in a place called Mango Hill. And uh, from that church, we launch our ministry called the Australian Outback Mission. And the Lord has allowed us to start three different works out in the western parts of Queensland. And uh, I guess to sum up our ministry and our aim and our goals in, in three words. Number one is evangelize. And the Bible says in Mark 4.14, the sower soweth the word. And so we are constantly out there sowing the word, whether through letterboxing, street evangelism, uh, meeting people where they're at on the streets, and spreading the, word, the, the, the uh, glorious gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only that, we stabilize. Stabilize in Isaiah 28.13. The Bible says, but the word of the Lord was unto them, Precept upon precept, line upon line. Understand God's word builds as a hammer. A hammer builds and constructs. In God's word, line upon line, precept upon precept, we uh, stabilize people in their Christian life and to help them grow in the Lord. Number three is organize in Titus 1 verse 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, Paul's Paul talking to Titus, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city. With our mission, our end result is to not only evangelize, stabilize, but also organize churches there in the Outback Queensland. 
And again, looking forward to what the Lord has for you guys in Lithgow. And I think there's a great potential there, and I see this beginnings, the growth of something great happening there. I keep praying for those people, praying for that area, and pray for your church, pray for your pastor. And understand, there's all, you know, it's, the ministry sometimes can be a very pressing load. There's a lot going on. And keep your, your pastor in prayer if you would. So thank you again for having us here this morning. We'll take your Bible and turn to Acts 15. And why don't you go ahead and stand this morning and we'll read a, a few verses. Acts 15. Acts chapter 15. And I love the book of Acts. And uh, as the name implies, it's what the apostles did. The Acts of the Apostles. What did they do at the beginning of the church age? What, how did they do and uh, perform these things and... and, and uh, how did they get organized? In Acts 15, and we're going to read uh, verse number 35 down through verse 41. Acts 30, uh, sorry, 15, chapter 15, verse 35. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas, and they parted, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for this Lord's Day, the first day of the week that we can set aside to come and worship you. And Lord, in particular, as we deal with the greatest business on earth, the business of lost souls. And Father... We don't always like business meetings, but, Lord, we should very much like this business meeting. And to understand, Lord, that uh, this is your heartbeat. And, Lord, as we open our hearts to your word this morning, I pray you set me aside. I pray that uh, the folks here would be encouraged by your word. Be strengthened, be directed. And, Heavenly Father, we ask you to meet with us. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Ever since the Lord Jesus Christ commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, there in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, we have been busy pursuing the ministry of evangelism. The church has done this since the very statement of Christ there in Acts 1, 8. And uh, throughout the generations and, and hundreds of years and decades, there have been multitudes of different efforts that have gone on throughout the history of the church in different climates and different cultures in different periods of history, all under the area of evangelism. And there are multiplied thousands of different gospel tracts and pamphlets and printed devices that can be used today in evangelism. I thank the Lord we live in 2018. We have modern technology. In fact, uh, very, uh, very, very soon we'll be uh, getting some uh, live streaming happening at our churches there in western Queensland. And uh, many of those people have never even seen a laptop, some, some of them, and they don't know what, what a live streaming is, but not, not really. But, you know, the thing is, modern technology is a great tool to take advantage of. We have Facebook and Twitter and uh, emails and internets, and we have mission conferences and street preaching and uh, texting and colleges, Bible universities. 
all in the name of evangelism, trying to get the gospel out. And we have different uh, sessions and, and, and uh, meetings coming together. And how can we do this better? There's nothing wrong with taking advantage of modern technology. Nothing wrong with having a structure and a system done decently and in order. But underneath all that methodology, there has to be some kind of foundational principles that we adhere to when we are thinking about this idea of getting the gospel into all the world. Now, you know as well as I do, some uh, different uh, churches in our area and around this country, around the world, that uh, they, they, uh, if you were to look at them, you say, well, you know what, maybe they've gotten away a little bit from biblical principles in trying to spread the gospel. And folks, I'm going to tell you this morning, we need to stick by God's word. What you have right here in your hand this morning has all the answers to life. You don't need anything else. It's right here in front of us. It's simple. It's very simple and straightforward. And today we're going to look at a couple things here from the Apostle Paul and his life. And, and these are what I call implied principles. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you understand that God's word, there's many levels to it. All right? There's always one interpretation, but many applications. And you, read, you ever read a passage, you know, and you go through, I've read that for years. And all of a sudden something pops out of you, where did that come from? You know, God's word is so deep, yet so simple to understand. It's an amazing book. Amazing book. And this morning, we're looking at a couple implied principles from, from uh, the Apostle Paul and his life and, and what's been going on here. Now, for the last 15 chapters, the church at Jerusalem has been growing. It's been growing. In fact, in chapter 15, as things have been going forward, they had to deal with legalism. All right, legalism by a biblical definition is simply adding works to salvation. All right, and so they had to deal with this. And uh, in fact, they had a, a meeting uh, together there. Um, Paul and Barnabas had to leave Antioch to drop down to Jerusalem. And they, uh, you read that throughout uh, chapter 15. They met together. And some people were spreading false doctrine, as happens today, uh, that you have to add something to salvation. People want to uh, have the Gentiles become Jews first through circumcision before they could accept Christ. And that was all a bunch of rubbish. I understand that. Even today, we're fighting some SDAs happening in Eidsvold. And, uh, you know, again, a uh, belief system that wants to add something to salvation. All right? Understand salvation is by faith and grace alone through the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you would turn to John chapter 3, hold your finger there. And this is uh, a little bit of a sidetrack, but I almost uh, felt the Lord would have me preach this this morning, but I, uh, he changed my mind. But here in John chapter 3, along these lines, I want to just give you a quick thought about that because I'm not sure who's here this morning. I'm not sure who's a uh, faithful attender, and, uh, and, and welcome to the guests that are here this morning, and even those who have uh, faithfully attended for many, many years. Maybe you don't know for sure that Christ is your Savior. But here in John chapter 3, real briefly... You know the story. Nicodemus approaches Christ, and then verse number 3. Well, let's read verse number 2. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I've read that over and over again. Now, why did the Lord use that analogy? Why did the Lord use that particular illustration to help Nicodemus see the truth. Why is that? Christ used a lot of illustrations. He used a lot of parables about farmers and planting seed and sowing. Why did Christ use the fact of being born again? A phrase that you may be familiar with. Are you a born again Christian? And that's where it comes from. 
Except a man be born again, he sh- sh- cannot see the kingdom of God. And I didn't think about it. You know what? We had nothing to do with our physical birth, did we? I was born on the 3rd of June. I won't tell you the year. All right, it was last century. I'll tell you that. All right. All right. I had nothing to do when I was born. I was born the 3rd of June. I had nothing to do with that. All right. It happened to me, not by me. Understand the spiritual birth the same way. You, nothing you can do, nothing you can do, any merit you can do, any good works you can do to gain eternal life. It happens to you, not by you. There's a whole number of thoughts, but this morning, if you're here, if you're trusting anything else but the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you need to repent of that and turn to Lord Jesus Christ. Back in Acts 15 here. So the church at Jerusalem had to deal with this. And what a glorious result this was. Because at the end of this chapter, towards the end of the chapter, they were dismissed in, cha- in verse number 30. And uh, verse number 31 of chapter 15, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation to know, you know what? Yes, in fact, salvation is by faith and faith alone. No circumcision, no nothing, no works at all. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. All right, so they came to the conclusion of this matter. And after, there, after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. That brings us up to our passage this morning. All right, so we have the issue that happened there at the church at Jerusalem. And what the devil tried to split things, he tried to, to insert division, what happened, God turned it around. And so the, the evangelism actually sped up. So everything Satan tried to retard, he only succeeded in speeding up. So we pick up our, our story here in verse 35. And Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Teaching and preaching. That's evangelism and edification. They were there. And by the way, God uses busy people. These guys here were busy serving there in Antioch. Now understand, this is after Paul's first missionary journey. He took three missionary journeys. This is, the, this is the, uh, after the first one. And we're going to start the second one here in verse 36. But there they were in Antioch the launching pad to reach the Gentile nations with the gospel. And here they are, busy, teaching and preaching, evangelizing and edifying with the word of the Lord, with God's word, with many others also. Then I get to the heart of the message here this morning. My first point is this. As we think about Paul's second missionary journey, it says, verse 36, And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go. Let us go. It, Paul was there, I understand now, Paul was there with Barnabas and others, teaching, preaching, edifying, evangelizing, helping the church to grow there, and leading people to the Lord, uh, baptizing them, discipling them. The Bible says, we don't know how long, many days after, Paul said to Barnabas, All right, mate, let us go. Let's go. All right, we're going. What motivated Paul? You ever think about that? What motivated him? What's your motivation today? 
You understand, I, 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 you see people here, maybe about 200 people here this morning. We all came to church for a reason. Maybe because some came to see some friends. Maybe some came because they were felt forced to. But what's your motivation for coming to do anything for the Lord? What's your motivation to read God's word? Your motivation to witness? Your motivation to pray? Your motivation to come and attend church? What, what motivates you? You know, by the way, it's a scary thing that, you know what, we're going to stand before God one day, give an account of our motivation. Not exactly where our body's at, but why you did what you did as you serve him. And Paul here, he says, let us go. Let us go. So what was his motivation? As we think about this area, think about Lithgow, think about our state of New South Wales, what is your motivation to take the gospel to those around you. What motivates you? Is it all, you know, to tick a box? Is it, oh, my mate must, will see me and, and he'll think I'm, I'm serving the Lord. What's your motivation? Well, we all have wrong motivations this time and again. We, we all have them. But what needs to be our motivation? I think Paul gives us some motivations here to, for him as he thought about let us go. Let's go. First, let's get out of here. Let's go. We're doing a good work here, but God has called me to go. You would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Hold your finger there. We'll be back momentarily. As we think about missions and think about our command to go into all the world, we understand that what should motivate us? What should drive? What should be the torque, the horsepower behind all that? In 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 and chapter number 5. And uh, we'll spend a few moments here kind of skipping around different verses, but I think within uh, interwoven in these chapters, we have uh, Paul's motivation to what motivated him to go and to reach his known Gentile world. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 1, he says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. I think Paul understood God's mercy. In Acts chapter 9, we have the conversion of Saul. We have his uh, life-changing experience when he met the Lord on the road to to, uh, Damascus. And we understand, you know what? Paul understands God's mercy, does he not? You understand who Paul was before he got saved? He was a murderer. He hated Christians. He hated the Lord. He hated anything to do with the truth. He hated it. God, and Paul understood God's mercy in his life. And you know what? I believe if Paul were here this morning, he would say, look, I understand God's given me mercy. And if God's given me mercy, he can give anyone mercy. Because he's a merciful God. And that is what motivates me. To understand I receive God's mercy. I receive that. And I want to share that with those around me. Not only that, look at chapter 5, verse 14. Chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. For the love of Christ constraineth us. You know what? We sing, we sing a song all the time. You know, Jesus loves me. We all know that song. It's, it's a very, very uh, simple song, very uh, song that we've learned in Sunday school and in other classes. And you know, it's a very easy song to memorize. It's got a nice tune to it. But do we actually understand what that song means? Jesus loves you. He loves me. You know what? You can get a lot of people to like you if you don't tell them all about you. 
You know that? But Christ loves you and knows all about you. That's an amazing thing. He knows your sin. He knows when you fail. He knows your deepest and darkest heart's intent. He knows that about you. Yeah, he loves you anyways. You understand that? Paul understood that. He said, the love of Christ constraineth us. It constrains me to go. I know who I am, and Christ loves me. He loves me. He knows who I am. He loves me still. Yes, Jesus loves me. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. That motivated Paul. Not only Christ's mercy, but Christ's love, his love. Understand this in verse 17 of chapter 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Paul understood that completely. He was, in a, he was diametrically opposed. He took a 180-degree turn in his life. He was on, on the road to killing Christians, putting them in jail. And he, 180-degree turnaround. I'm a new creature. I'm a new person in Christ. That motivates me. I've been changed from the inside out. And Paul knew that. If Christ could change him, he could change you. He could change you. That motivated him. Let us go. Let's go. I got to share the mercy of Christ. I got to share the love of Christ. I got to share that what Christ did for me, he can do for you. Chapter 5, verse number 10. Here's another motivating factor. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Wow. That's a great motivation right there. Not for your sin, but to give an account of your time you spent and gifts given to you on this earth. Our sin's been paid for by the blood of Christ. We never stand in judgment of that. Praise the Lord. But we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's the motivating factor right there. That we're going to stand before God one day. And I believe we'll all say to him, Lord, I wish I had given you more. What a motivating factor this is. The love of Christ and mercy of Christ. To know that we're standing before him one day. That our life has been changed, so can you be changed. Verse number 20 of chapter 5. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is the Apostle Paul writing these things. Peppered throughout these chapters, I believe we find the motivation of Paul. What, what made him get up in the morning and go? You ever get up in the morning and don't feel like going? Sometimes I do. We all do. We get tired, we're sick, we don't want to go. We have the wrong attitude, bad attitude. All right. These things need to be in our hearts. And the whole theme this week has been a heart, a heart issue. Right? It's so great how uh, you and Brother Tom mentioned this morning in, in the men's class. It's been a great theme this week, getting our heart right with God. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent heaven, represent Jesus Christ. What a motivating factor that is. Let's go back to uh, Acts chapter 15. Understand now, Paul, you understand him. Probably in the back of your Bible, you have some maps that uh, outline the Apostle Paul and his journeys. All right, most Bibles have that, and we're not going to turn to those maps this morning. But you see, Paul was a fellow that was hard to tie down. He was on the go. I don't know if he had, what do they call it, ADHD or something? He kept going, he kept going and going and going. He couldn't sit still. He couldn't sit still. He had to go. He had to go. He's, he's there at the church of Antioch. I can imagine it. And, you know, every, uh, every ship, every camel or horse that's going, you know, past his area, and he's thinking, well, who are those people that are going 
on those vessels. And where are they going to? Maybe they're going somewhere I've never been before. They need to hear the gospel. And it was Paul that couldn't sit still. He said, let us go. Let us go. In fact, uh, I know you're there in Acts, and we'll get there in a minute. Uh, Romans chapter number 15. Let's turn there. And this will give you a little bit of insight to Paul's heart and the fact that he couldn't sit still. All right, understand that uh, Paul wanted to go to Rome. We understand that, all right? But uh, he had, uh, not that he's using the people of Rome, but he had another place that he wanted to get to, all right, when he's going to Rome. Here in Acts, I'm uh, sorry, Romans 15, verse 24. All right, we understand Paul had a desire to go to Rome. Let's take it a step further. I think he wanted to go somewhere else. Rome was simply a stepping stone to somewhere else. In Romans 15, verse 24, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. Verse 28, When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into where? To Spain. I wear Spain. The furthest point that Paul could go before he reached the body of water, the ocean. Paul in his mind, he wanted to go the furthest. The only thing that was hindering Paul from going anywhere was the obstacle in front of him, was the capability of getting there. You know, they didn't have land curves. They didn't have this thing. They had had walking by feet, uh, foot. Uh, They had, uh, you know, uh, camels and horses and so forth. But Paul, he had his mind on Spain. He said, yeah, when we come to your guys in Rome, I'm trusting that you'll bring me thitherward because I'm heading to Spain. He said, well, who's in Spain? There's some great men in Spain. There's Marshall. There was Quintilian, the, the orator, the great orator. There was Seneca, the master philosopher. And Paul had his heart set there. He was going. He wanted to go. He had a passion. He had a motivation. He had, he had a drive. He had the horsepower behind that. You know, all these meetings and classes, it's all good. It's all good to have that. There's got to be some kind of inner motivation that motivates us. You know, we can be instructed until we're blue in the face. We can have a pep rally. We can get around ready. One, two, three, let's go and get going. That's great, but it has to come from the heart. It's got to come from the inside. We got to be motivated from the inside to get going. What motivates you? The love, the mercy of God, the fact that you've been a new, you're a new creature now. And Paul said, "Let us go." You've heard you've heard maybe of, uh, great missionary evangelist Robert Moffat. He said this: "Oh, that I had a thousand lives and a thousand bodies." All of them should be devoted to no other employment but to preach Christ to these degraded, despised, yet beloved mortals. He also said this, My album is the savage breast where tempests brood and savages rest without one ray of light. To write the name of Jesus there and see that savage bow in prayer and point to worlds more bright and fair, this is my soul's delight. And what a passion. What a passion. What a drive. What a driving force. How's your passion this morning? What's your motivation? What motivates you to serve the Lord, to evangelize, to read his word? What is it? The motivation. There's only one way you ever have that kind of passion, and that's not by learning methods. It's not by saying in your mind, I think I'll have that passion, and saying it over and over again, and grunting, and a lot of grimacing, and groaning, and stirring up some kind of spiritual frenzy. That's not how it's going to happen. It's a supernatural one. The only way you ever know that kind of passion is when you're so mingled with the person of Jesus Christ, that he loves through you. He loves through you. Let me read a verse quickly in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 
2 Corinthians 3, 18. And the Bible says this, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's how you change your heart, by spending time with Him. All right, we see in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. We want the image of Christ to reflect us. We want Christ's image to reflect in our heart out to the lost and dying world around us. You change your heart by spending time with him, spending time with him. So we have the motivation. Go back to Acts 15, number two. Acts 15 and verse number 36. All right, and some days after Paul said to Barnabas, let us go, what's the next word? Again, interesting word, one word is our next point. All right, let us go again, again, and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Interesting. All right, we have the motivation. What's the mandate? What's the priority? What's the mandate? Now, understand, Paul here went to Barnabas. All right, Barnabas, we're going to go. Let's get out of here. We're doing well here. Lord's called me to start my second missionary journey. And Barnabas, I would suppose, would say, Paul, where do you want to go? The whole world is at our footsteps. Where do we want to go? Where do you want to go? Paul says, let us go again. What? We talking about there's there's some new territory that has to be covered yes that's right but Paul said let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord wherever we've been and see how they do and we think of the apostle Paul do you think of Paul as a local pastor no we don't we think of Paul you think of him as a, a missionary evangelist he was an apostle a sent one he was the apostle of the Gentiles we think of him as a church planter all right, so Paul was a sent one. Apostle means that sent one, a missionary evangelist. And uh, today I think we have sometimes our, our definitions are uh, bits mixed up, and we have think of evangelist being a person who comes, a fellow comes along and preaches in a, in a town, in a city, and people get saved. He moves on to the next place, and the responsibility for that church is to follow up uh, those people who got saved and, and nurture them and grow them, disciple them in the Lord. And uh, here Paul took on the responsibility, he understood the mandate is to make disciples. He uh, not only won people to the Lord, but he fathered them. He discipled them. He said, let us go again, Barnabas, where we just came from. Let us go again. Paul understood the importance of maturing people in the Lord, of maturing him. I think one of the things that uh, is very often is uh, misleading in evangelism, and we're all guilty of this, is the fact that uh, we fail to really love the individual that we led to Christ. To the point where we feel this tremendous responsibility. If you would turn to Philippians chapter 1, and this was mentioned this morning in, in, uh, in the uh, Sunday school hour. Philippians chapter 1, and I always delight in when I go to meetings and different things, and even if I'm not speaking, I always delight in seeing how the Lord works behind the scenes and how he just intertwines different messages and thoughts and patterns throughout the week. And this is a, a great thing here. Philippians chapter 1. And we, we don't have time this morning to read all this, but uh, I wish in a few moments we can just get Paul's heart here. Paul was a person who wanted to go. He wanted to go and spread the word. Go and spread the good news. Not only that, but he had a passion, a motivation 
to make sure people were growing in the Lord. Here in Philippians in chapter 1, in verse number 3, read a few verses here, and really get the essence of Paul's heart. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day unto now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. You see Paul's heart there? Guys, I want you to have a good judgment seat. I want you to be mature in Christ. I long after you. I'm praying for you that you're growing in the Lord. You need him. You need his word to help you in life. You see Paul's heart there? He was, he was in prison writing this. He's saying, guys, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your love may abound yet more and more. Your love is growing in the Lord. You're growing in the Christian life. You're, you're, you're reading his word. You're absorbing it. You're growing in him. This was Paul's heart. This mandate motivated him to understand, yes, there's a great calling we have to go and plant the seed and to reap a harvest. But that journey has just begun in a person's life. We have to nurture them, grow them, baptize them, grow them, disciple them. It's a great mandate, a great mandate. Let me read another verse to you in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I know I'm going pretty quick here through the Bible, and, and if you can't keep up, that's fine. Just listen in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, in verse number 17. Now, a little, little snippet here of, um, of Paul's heart. He said, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in hearts, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we, have, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy of crown of rejoicing? Are not ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. A little snippet here of uh, the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse number 14. 1 Corinthians 4, 14. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. You hear that, what he said there? You may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, 10,000 people that will lead you into discipling of Christ. We don't have many fathers. What does a father do for his son? He cares for him. He loves him. 
He guides and nurtures them, prays for them, hoping they're doing well. In Paul, the spiritual father to many, he is concerned for them. It was said at one point regarding George Whitfield, he said this, they couldn't hate the man who wept so much over their souls. To understand the best way to evangelize is to produce reproducing disciples. Understand that Christ didn't speak to large crowds very often, and even when he did, he spoke in parables and didn't understand it. Understand a parable does one of two things. It conceals truth and also reveals truth. So Christ didn't speak a lot of crowds. What he did was mostly in parables. He spent a lot of time with his 12 disciples, did he not? That's really the heart of evangelism. He was committed to the priority of maturing the believers. Now, we're not negating whatsoever the great need in front of us of getting gospel tracts out thousands at a time. That's step one. Step two is maturing believers, the mandate. We have the motivation, and the mandate is to mature believers. We won't turn here, but I'll read a few verses quickly and move on to the next point. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor. That's a great, clear goal that Paul had. In Colossians chapter 4, verse number 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always look, laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught. Clear, clear mandate. Yes, you guys received the Lord. Now, the journey has begun. We have to grow and mature you in Christ. So let's go again back to Acts 15. Acts 15. All right, we'll cover a few more words for the next point. All right, cover one word there and number two. All right, let us go again. Let us go again, verse 36, and visit our brethren every city. Let's see how this develops now. All right, so Paul has his motivation. He has his mandate. All right? Let's see what happens here. Let's see what happens. In verse 37, and Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. And you heard John Mark before. All right, he had Bible studies in his home. All right, he went with them on the first missionary journey. And uh, if you know anything about that, chapter 13, uh, John Mark uh, tucked his tail and ran back home. We don't know, we don't understand what happened. Maybe he had sickness uh, occur to him. We don't know what took place. But here, in verse number uh, 38, but Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. All right, so we have the development here of a little bit of disunity. We spoke about unity this morning in men's class. All right, unity. And that is the goal we need to be striving for. Sometimes the reality is unity will not always happen. And what do we do when there's disunity, when there's discord? And have you ever been a part of a, uh, a conflict? I think we all have. We've all been, maybe the, uh, not the solution, we've been actually the cause of the conflict. 
all right? We've all been in conflict, whether it's personal, relational with a family, church member, uh, collectively as a church, we've all been part of a conflict. We maybe have been through a church split before, and not here, but other places you come from. All right, so what happens when there is this unity? Because it's going to happen. We're striving for unity. We're pushing towards that, but we're dealing with sinners. And sometimes this unity will take place. And this is marvelous. This is a wonderful truth for us to learn this morning. This is God's word. It says here in verse number 39, And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. When I read that, I'm thinking, look, at there's not a lot of love right here. There are some strange, there's some strong words going on. The contention was so sharp, they departed. All right, they had a major argument here. There was disunity among the leadership. These guys are leaders, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. They were fighting, disunity. There was strife going on. But I love how God can take a great mess and make greatness out of it. This is, this is phenomenal. And the more you're in the ministry, the more you understand this. It's, you know, don't worry about who's right and all the details. Let God take care of it. Let God take care of it. It says here in verse uh, number 38, and went not with them to the work. All right, discussing uh, Paul. Look at Paul said, no, he's not going with us. All right, he bailed out on us, and, and Paul's a strong leader. All right, he's not going to mess around, muck around with people who are not going to be, you know, committed fully to what's going on. So Mark took off. He left, all right? Paul says, no, we're not taking him. Barnabas being having great hearts, he said, yeah, we need to take him. So they started arguing. All right, in uh, verse 40, what happened? And Paul chose Silas, all right? So they departed asunder. They turned back and walked away. I don't think it was a maybe, I don't know, it could have been a fist fight. We don't know, but there's some sharp words taking place. A lot of disunity, take, disunity taking place there. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Number three is this, men that God uses. So we have the motivation, we have the mandate, and we have the men that God uses. All right? And this is a wonderful thing. This is a wonderful thing here, what's, what's taking place. And uh, you say, oh, it's a great mess. This is, this is a disaster. People are getting hurt. Leaders are arguing over somebody. And they split and part their ways. Paul, the Bible says, chose Silas, all right, and departed. Barnabas took John Mark with him and went west to Cyprus. Barnabas is from Cyprus. Cyprus is a place where Paul started his first missionary journey. Remember that back in chapter 13, all right? So we have what's taking place now. We have these two guys split, all right? Barnabas takes John Mark, goes west. Paul takes Silas and goes north. And we'll get to this in a minute in chapter 16 briefly. But what, what, what's taking place here? You know what's going on here? God now has two missionary teams, does he not? He has two missionary teams going separate ways. Doing more for the Lord than if they hadn't fought. Understand that. What would have happened if they never fought over John Mark? Would God's word still been going forward? Of course. Paul was going regardless. But now we have Two different teams going different ways out of a contention that was so sharp they parted asunder. I love it. Don't let God take care of it. God's working behind the scenes. Don't worry about it. I've been, I've been, and I've known, and I haven't really been a part of, but I've known different close friends of mine, church splits and all this stuff. It's happened in Queensland several times. 
you know what? There's two works going on in Queensland right now because of a church split. It's wonderful. You know, God will take care of the detail. I ain't worried about who's right, who's wrong, and, and all this rubbish. You know, God will take care of it. Like, God, make greatness out of a great mess. He'll do it. He'll do it. Sometimes we, get in, we want to control things, don't we? We want to be there and, hit, and grab the helm and steer things. Let God control it. Just let go and let God. So here we have two missionary teams going separate ways. And this is even more beautiful. And uh, I know we need to stop real soon here, but uh, let's, <laughs> let's go a little further. Because I just love this. I love this. And he went through Syria, verse 41, and uh, Cilicia, confirming the churches. All right, so Paul and Silas took off. You say, who's this guy Silas? Who is he? Well, if you're going to be romping around the Roman Empire, it's very helpful to be a Roman citizen. And guess what? Silas was a Roman citizen. If you're going to be going around to towns and hitting synagogues, it's very helpful to be a Jew. And Silas, indeed, was a Jew. And if you're going to be announcing the message that the Jerusalem church has established salvation by grace, it's nice if you happen to be from the Jerusalem church. Lo and behold, Silas was. If you're going to be preaching and proclaiming, it's nice if you're a prophet. And guess what? Silas was a prophet. All right, so men that God uses. Men that God uses. It was a perfect match. It's a perfect match. It came out of a mess. They came out of a mess. Not only that, let me submit this to you this morning. Verse 1 of chapter 16, look at this. Then came he to Derby. All right, understand. So we have a central hub. We have two teams going separate ways. All right, we have Barnabas taking John Mark west. Paul taking Silas going north. All right, Paul is actually going back. He's still with his intent going back to every city where they have just preached, but he's going backwards now. All right, Paul is retracing his steps, but backwards because the result of the dissension between him and Barnabas. He's going backwards, and he came, so he went north, up through the, uh, uh, there's some mountain ranges he had to climb, up to the plateau, and there in Derby and Lystra, verse number one, chapter 16, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. You ever hear of him before? You know who he is? The son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Understand this, folks. Understand this. Paul was not intending to go north. Because of the division, he went north, and he found Timotheus. He found him there. And I believe Timothy was already saved when Paul got there. Understand his mother and grandmother were saved in Paul's first missionary journey. And here's the beauty of this also, that, uh, you know, uh, converts were winning converts to the Lord in Derby and Lystra. It was happening. Paul shows up on the scene, and it was already well reported of by the brother that were at Lystra. This guy is, is young man, Timothy. You know what? He's saved. He's on fire for the Lord. He's grown in the Lord. And here Paul shows up. But all that, Paul would have, we don't know, what if, but Paul probably would have ended up there on the second missionary journey. We have no idea, but the fact of the matter is Paul went there first because of the split of him and Barnabas and met Timothy there. Isn't that beautiful how God works? We can't script it. We, 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 can't. We, have, we have no idea how God works. We have no clue at all. So we have here Timothy. They met Timothy there. In these two towns. 
the men that God uses. We'll turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This will be our last verse this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 5. And folks, the God we serve today is the same God the Bible will read of. The same God. And God can work today as he worked back in this day. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 5. And the Bible says, when I call to remembrance, this is Paul writing Timothy, I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. You know, we often call Paul the spiritual father of Timothy, and there's nothing wrong with that. Let me submit to you this morning, like I said earlier, it's very, very, very possible, improbable, and more than likely, that Timothy was already saved when Paul arrived on the scene. And that uh, from there, Timothy went with Paul, and we know the rest of the story. But understand, you know, God chooses men and women and ladies, not to leave the ladies out this morning, but God chooses personnel to do his work. God could have chosen anything. He could, he could have chosen animals or, or the plants. We understand creation does uh, reveal the glory of God and speaks of God's glory. But he's chosen us this morning, men, women, and children, personnel, to do his work. As we strive for unity, that's a great goal. We need to be striving for unity. But when unity doesn't happen, let God control it. Let God take over. And he can work a miraculous happening in our lives. And his will and his word will always go forward. Understand that God is building his church. A simple statement, but we often fail to believe that. It's God building his church, not us. We're simply a sower. We're a tool. But God's doing the work. You know why? Because God gets the glory. Well, we're in the way. We get the glory. I don't want the glory. Well, we do want the glory, don't we? <laughs> to be honest, we want the glory. We want to be in the spotlight. Well, that's, that's the way it should be. God needs to get the glory. And when God works it out, you have a big mess in front of you. You know what's going on. You know what's happening. You say, I don't know. This is a, this is a disaster. Let God take over. Let him, because he'll turn that all around for his good and his glory. Saying, you know, I did nothing to do with that. I know you didn't. It's the Lord. So this morning, what's your motivation? Your motivation. And what's the mandate? And understand that God uses men, the personnel he uses. As we uh, think about this closing day of Missions Conference, and again, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of good things happening this week, and we're not done yet. Not done yet. We've got exciting things happening tonight. As we think about our commission our responsibility, the big job ahead of us. Let's not forget these things. What should motivate us to look at that map back there and see the need, see the 1040 window, see other places in the world that need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ? What should motivate us to go? Let's look at Paul's motivation. What motivated him? Understand, what's the mandate? Yes, we need to go out and spread the word and, and plant the seed. And, but that uh, comes to mind. Let me, I told you, don't turn to Eric. I told you it's the last one, but I'm going to read a verse to you. All right, it came to mind. 
This will be the last one I read, all right? This is it after this. All right, this is, uh, this is phenomenal, and this is uh, I want to share this with you this morning, then we'll close. In Mark chapter 4, this is beautiful. This is God working behind the scene. This is God working in Mark chapter 4, verse 26. This is Christ speaking. And he said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day. You know what? We cast seed into the ground in Lithgow. It's there. You know, we're, we're gonna be, we slept last night, and we'll, we'll rise tomorrow. We'll sleep tonight, rise tomorrow. All right, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. I have no idea. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade. I love the progression here. You first the blade, then the ear. After that, the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest has come. You see the beautiful, he knoweth not how. It's supernatural, folks. God's word is supernatural in our life, in our hearts. And it will work a work. God will build his church. People will get saved. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. In his time. And this week, let's commit ourselves to that. Commit ourselves to the motivation, to the mandates, and understand that God uses men women and children, for his service. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, we bow humbly before you this morning to understand that, Lord, you can use us. We don't always understand how. We're sinners saved by your grace. But, Lord, you've chosen us to serve you. And Lord, what a humbling thought that is. And Father, this morning as we come to the near conclusion of this conference, I pray, Lord, that something spoken this week, doesn't matter from whom, but Lord, that your word spoke to the hearts of the people here, that we may be challenged, and not only stirred, but changed for you, and to draw closer to you. Father, I, I pray this morning that somebody here is not saved. I pray today will be the day of their salvation. That they would turn from whatever they're trusting in, Lord, and place their faith and trust completely in you. And Father, I pray you work a work in the people's hearts this morning. We give the praise, honor, and glory for it. In your name I pray. Amen.